This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza, joined today by Chris Anderson on a Thursday morning in November. Meaningful football for one team at Mountaineer Field. Saturday, West Virginia, 6-4, and four, somewhere in the middle of the pack in the Big 12, but not at the bottom. Playing host to Cincinnati. Three and seven, somewhere near the bottom of the Big 12. Chris, this is the matchup between teams that were 13th and 14th in the preseason poll. There's a lot of similarities here, except the trajectory within this season. And they got that preseason uh, projection right for at least one of those teams. Um, Yeah, looking at their schedule and you look at some of the games and there is like we're going to talk about in a bit, but some of the stats are similar, but even again, don't look at the overall record here because three and seven is bad. But I don't think Cincinnati's a very good football team. But what they got a two point loss, three point loss, an eight point loss that was actually a little closer than that. Another touchdown loss. They got four games decided by one score or less. And what they're owing or they're one and four in games decided by one score or less right now. And you know we we have seen how easily that kind of stuff can flip. And West Virginia is what, two and one, two and one, and they've only had three games that close, but two and one in those things. So could easily flip the other direction for either of those teams. Yep. Scott Satterfield and Neil Brown have met each other three times when they were in the Sun Belt. Neil Brown at Troy, Satterfield at App State, Satterfield two and one. The the notes for Cincinnati say three and oh. Um that is not correct because Brown definitely has a win. I know he has two losses as well, but uh they know each other a little bit. They're familiar with one another. If you read their quotes, they they kind of have an expectation of, as to what they'll see, but also what they have experienced before. That's been interesting to me. Uh, both teams really like to outside zone it. The defenses, um, I, I don't know, like the coordinators have changed for Satterfield through the years. Neil Brown's had his coordinator for a couple of years here. I'm not sure there's a thumbprint for either one of them, maybe just relative to their personnel. Um, you know, the quarterbacks run it. They run the ball a lot, two of the best running offenses in the country. They're both really high on time of possession. Turnovers are okay. They follow their offensive line. Splashy receivers, but maybe not consistent. On and on and on here on offense. And this just feels like it's going to be like a 13 to 10 game or something like that. I don't know why. I just I, I expect something goofy here toward the end. And if it came out that like, wow, offenses running the ball. This might be like a, you know what, Chris? It's a 230 start. It might be out of the way in time for the 330 window. One can only hope. I'm I'm looking forward to, I would say, that this feels like, what was that, the TCU game, I think a couple years ago, where West Virginia got up by like 7 or 10 and then just sat on the ball in the second half because they knew TCU couldn't do anything. 
and that game was over in like two hours. That I'm expecting that sort of game. I mean, these teams, as far as like time possession, they're like second and ninth, second and eleventh in time of possession. They get the ball, they sit on the ball, they run the ball, and that's that. And so this one could go quick, and I'm with you. I think maybe a little lower scoring game than maybe some people think. I was looking at, because this is funny, I was looking at game times, um, and like two things stand out to me because, one, I want to get out of there fast, so I definitely am tracking this if I can. But West Virginia, some tidy games. You're talking 319, 314. The outlier, of course, being five hours and nine minutes against Duquesne. About a two-hour delay there. That was going to be a quick game. I, I got to look into this, Chris. Cincinnati welcomed Ohio, excuse me, Miami of Ohio, won 31-24 in 95 minutes. No. Not be, get it? No, no. I'm looking at it. Has to be a, a mistake. Wouldn't that be great? Just, just home by five. Uh-huh. Be terrific. So you've crunched the numbers. You ruffled the paper, Chris. What about this matchup here? Apart from the parallels, um, kind of jumps out to you because the one thing that sent out to me is that what you just mentioned really narrow margins for Cincinnati. And that is kind of, that is not the West Virginia experience when it was new to the Big 12. Cincinnati was probably more power five on the way into the power five than West Virginia was. Although West Virginia had a dynamite team, at least offensively coming back. But when you look at how Luke Fickle built Cincinnati's roster, the program, and how they played, of course, over the course of a couple of years and in some, some bowl games and some major opponents, they were prepared. They had some good young talent, season talent. They hit the portal hard. Coach isn't bad. Um, but some of their shortcomings, that tends to happen when you are new to a conference or a level. That kind of explains that. I just don't know if they're like lurking in the grass here to jump up and bite West Virginia because they lost seven in a row before beating Houston 24 to 14 Saturday. Yeah, this is a team that plays. I'm going to draw a parallel with basketball here. Like the, the lower seed in the NCAA tournament, they know they don't have the depth of talent. They kind of hang with the better teams, the big boys. So they slow the game down. They make it really come down to fewer plays and fewer plays. And when you have a game that goes to fewer plays, it it allows for a little more variance. And that's their hope. Again, I I don't see them, you know, really taking advantage of that yet. Again, one for four, one and four in one score games, which has worked to their detriment, but kept them in some of these games that maybe they shouldn't have been. Um, because yeah, this is this is going to be a game where every play, the importance of every play is going to be magnified. And I don't know who that favors, to be quite honest with you, because there are some stats that are not good for either team, if that's the case. All right, let's start there. Let's I don't know what side of the ball you want to start on, but it sounds like you've highlighted a few things here. So you pick the side where we begin here because there there are a couple of pretty important directions I think you go into when it comes to the numbers and the matchups here. Well, let's start with the West Virginia offense and Cincinnati defense, and it, it'll pull a little bit from the other side of the ball, but I, I, one of my three keys is going to be that West Virginia needs to be efficient on offense, and that, that means completing more than 50% of your passes. That means converting on thirds downs. That means creating third and shorts, because when you look at some of Cincinnati's statistics as far as like yards per game allowed or scoring defense, those numbers are, are totals. 
and those numbers are low. And people seem to think, oh, that that translates into a good defense, a stingy defense. But look closer at the yards per play allowed, because here's the key. Cincinnati's defense has faced the 13th fewest plays Mm -hmm. in the country this season. And because of that, the totals are down. But if you look at the average yards per play allowed, they're allowing an average of nearly basically six yards per play, which ranks 100th out of 132 teams. So this is a defense that will give up yardage. They will. They they are not overly good at stopping things. They just tend to keep the ball out of the other team's hand. Well, again, the time of possession numbers that we talked about um, and the fact that they run the ball. They run the ball. They're above average on third down on offense. And when they don't convert, they are one of the tops in the country and going for it on fourth down. So they tend to hold the ball and kind of mask the fact that their defense actually might not be that good. Yeah, if you look at some of their performers individually for Cincinnati, their marks, I'm going to cherry pick one of them, but Dante Corleone, one of the best defenders in the country last year, still very good, but he's not as dynamic because he's not seeing AAC offensive lines across them. And across the board, some of their players who had good years last year just haven't been the same because you're seeing Big 12 offensive lines and Big 12 receivers, and it's a little bit different. And that's that's kind of brought them back to earth a little bit, too. To your point, Chris, uh, the first down, again, the magic number for West Virginia, first downs, got to get to 25. Just means a lot of things are working. Uh, unfortunately, Cincinnati's defense only allows 18 per game. Some of that is because the other team is not in the field very much. You're right. Like, if they're going to tax Cincinnati's defense, if they're going to expose some of the things that are maybe hidden a little bit, maybe there are some margins they protected and they're not quite as good as it appears, you're going to have to exploit that, which means being on the field. Uh, time of possession, it's going to be a tug of war for both these teams. They both like time of possession. Uh, both in the top 10, I believe. I had to look at that one here in a second. But they do like to, you know, kind of, again, similarities here. Um, Cincinnati number 11 in the FBS, 32-35. West Virginia number 2, exactly one minute more. That that one minute, the battle of 60 seconds for 60 minutes could be kind of influential here too. So how does West Virginia go about that? Is it simply a lot of layups in the passing game, Chris? Do they have to do what they've been doing and just connect on the big stuff? Or is this a get out on the ground? and just churn out first downs and yards. You're going to want to try to get the, that running game going, of course. Like, again, don't get too far out of your element. But there was something else that stuck out to me, and I couldn't, couldn't like, put my finger on it. I was like, how is this possible? If you look at West Virginia's passing offense, Mike, the, you know, the site breaks it down by where the play begins. And, you know, say in your own red zone, like your own goal line, basically to the 20, your own 20 to your own 40, and then, you know, between the 40s in the middle of the field and so on. Typically, when you have that breakdown, you are more efficient in the middle of the field or even back on your own 20 and going towards the middle of the field because there's more field to work with. It gives you more space. It allows your guys, your your offense to have more options, especially in the passing game. You can run different routes. There are more space for them to be open and you can connect with them. Mm-hmm. West Virginia, the exact opposite. It's as far as the efficiency numbers go, because from their own one, from the, you know, basically their goal line all the way to the opponent's 40, West Virginia is completing like 45 to 46% of their passes. That's it. And now, granted, they're hitting for longer plays. That makes sense. You got more field or more yards. But once they get inside the 40, for 95% of the other teams, 
completion percentage drops because there's, again, it's tighter space with the same amount of defenders. It's harder to complete passes, and teams tend to rely more on uh, the running game and such. West Virginia jumps up to 67% once they get inside of their own 40 to their uh, to the, the precipice of the red zone, and then in the red zone around 60%. And they're still hitting more uh, efficient passes. They're a higher completion percentage. So I wonder if maybe, just maybe, you can tweak that game plan. Don't change it entirely, but tweak the game plan so you can connect on more of those short and intermediate routes that seem to be working just fine once West Virginia gets closer to their own, uh, to the goal line. Yeah, I wonder about that pick stuff, mesh stuff. They had some action earlier in the season where they were just, you know, they'd move somebody over left to right, right to left, and they would flood that side and give Green just one part of the field to look at so he doesn't have to, and this is the buzzword this week, see it. Um, and as complex a manner, he's just got his, his cone on one, one third of the field and pick out what you like. Do you like the guy at the rail? Do you like the guy in the flat? Do you like the guy at the seam and do something like that? I'm not saying they're going to run a steady diet of that, but it's worked well for Marchio. It's worked well for green. And if they're talking about thinning the playbook, um, that doesn't mean you add new stuff. It means you get rid of things that don't work. And maybe you highlight what has worked. Things like that could be good. And that's a play that has worked across the field. Just a concept at least. And you can do simple mesh stuff, um, you know, array principles with hooks and mesh and all that. And keep it short. Um, layups feel like they might be good, just um, just to get the confidence going too. But your point here, it's it's kind of fascinating, Chris, and it does work. And it's something here where I think West Virginia is going to be aggressive on offense for a couple of reasons. What you said right there, uh, and they're they're kind of like a downhill team once they get inside that forty. They're going to go for it. They're not going to kick field goals unless it's out of a a reasonable situation. But if you look at what Cincinnati's done on defense this year, um, opponents are nine for fourteen on fourth down. So, one, they don't get too many fourth downs. That's like one and change a game. They don't have the ball a whole lot, but they are nine for 14. So, Cincinnati doesn't get out the field. However, when Cincinnati gets its back in the red zone, they're trying to guard inside the 20. Opponents are 33 for 37, 23 touchdowns. They've scored all but four times they've been in the red zone. They don't miss field goals, I guess, but they also don't have to kick field goals. 104 in the country in red zone percentage defense. West Virginia has been good at times, hit or miss in the red zone sometimes. They've had some knees, some turnovers like in the red zone. That kind of skews the numbers a little bit. But why not try to go for it here this time too? A points, I don't know if they'll be at a premium, but really test this defense and see if it actually is rigid or if these are soft spots that could be exploited there too and, and, and see how it works. Let's go to the offensive line, defensive line. It's a big game for West Virginia's offensive line just based on what did not happen last game and how they kind of got, uh, what's the word? Uh, junked up by Oklahoma and whatever they're throwing at the wall on defense. Neil Brown kind of rings the bell here and says, Cincinnati can do that. Baylor can do that. And not only do you expect to see it, but you'd be kind of surprised you didn't. That's kind of what his saying was like, it's a copycat league. And if West Virginia has a good running game, then here's a recipe to stop it because it just worked last game. Still at 176 yards rushing, but still got the two big guys in the middle though. Juwan Briggs, Dante Corleone, kind of like grown men in the middle. How do they line up against the Cincinnati run defense here? Is it, it, I mean, they're going to do it. They're going to run the ball. They're going to hand it off. They're going to use a steady diet of um, C.J. Donaldson, Jaheim White, maybe a trace of Justin Johnson. Haven't seen Jalen Anderson lately, so just the two, maybe three guys. More Garrett Green in this one. Do you expect to see some Rodney Gallagher back like he was being used before? And then does Cincinnati have methods or success to work with this? On the green side of things, I think you're going to see more something similar more to what we saw like two or three weeks ago because each of the last two games, things got off script, if you will, 
pretty early. I mean, West Virginia was blowing out BYU, so you're not going to be running green in those situations. And then West Virginia was getting blown out by Oklahoma. So, again, you're changing your game plan, and you're changing your scheme, and you play calling. So I think you're going to see something with this game likely being a little closer in nature. You're going to see a little bit more of green running the ball on designed plays or designed reads at least. That Corleone matchup, uh, it, it's a big one, and it's this is this is a Zach Frazier game. This is he's going to be lined up against him ninety five percent of the time. The majority of Corleone's snaps are as a true nose tackle and be lined up over top of the center. Last year, he mm-hmm. was the number one rated player of all of FBS football, according to Pro Football Focus. Yeah. As you noted, that was against AAC opponents. He's come back down some, probably maybe about where he is, which is still a very good nose tackle because he currently ranks as the highest graded player uh, or highest graded regular on Cincinnati's entire team. He ranks as one of the best interior linemen in the Big 12 in both pass rush with 14 pressures and in rush defense with 16 stops. Um, And he's one of only four defensive linemen in the conference that has 20-plus tackles and a missed tackle rate of under 10%. So. He's just one of those guys, again, he's not as good as last year's numbers indicate. Like that was, you know, small sample size, inferior opponents. But some of that is translated to this year, and he seems to be solid all around. So very often you'll have guys that are great in pass rush, but can't tackle worth a lick, or guys who can stop the run, but have trouble putting pressure on the quarterback. And he seems to be, let's say, above average at both. And when you're above average at multiple things, Makes you pretty great. What's on your script of the first 10, 15 plays? Maybe not the actual plays, because I know you have the playbook and I don't want you giving it away for television, but conceptually or or player involvement. They've they've gotten, you know, different people involved early on and then have have or have not gone back to them. Last game we saw them stretch it a whole bunch, and I figured they were going to try to loosen up and try to pound it up the middle. Never really got a chance there. Maybe something similar this week because the stout Cincinnati defense in the middle, but if you're, if you're throwing jabs in the first round or two here, where are they landing? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. In the running game, I mean, I'm st- I'm sticking with it, and I want to see them stop West Virginia's uh, rushing attack. And I get it. Corleone is going to be tough in the middle. They got some beef up front, but give me a little bit of pull, a little bit of pulling guards, a little bit of misdirection. Uh, give me some running backs moving. Give me some some read options with uh, Green and the running back. And I want to see if Cincinnati's first and second line can 
be disciplined with that and be able to handle that. And that can kind of give away what West Virginia can do for the rest of the game. So that's I'm leaning on a lot of read option stuff uh, with Green and Donaldson. Okay, I'd like to see them shift the balance a little bit, whether that's unbalanced lines or end arounds or reverses. I, I just like getting that defense spinning again. Feels like a game for a flea flicker too, or or like a double pass or something, because you're you're gonna definitely clog the middle and you're gonna jump on the run. And if you see it go into Donaldson, hey, I better go get him. And all of a sudden, here comes a, you know, a trick play or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that's dreamy. I'm not sure, but something to to break the constraints that they're going to try to put in your defense there. Maybe early, maybe in the right spot. We'll see there. One more on the 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 scripting, and then maybe just to kind of bring back and then also bury the Oklahoma game. That game gets away because not the offense, the defense. Granted, the offense was kind of eh for for two, three drives there to settle down, got a tight end, got two tight ends in the field. That might have been a difference maker for them earlier in the game, but had a really good first drive and then just three and out, three and out, three and out. I think it was 31-7 by the time I had their next first down after their first touchdown. So the game gets away from him. But if you're in a in a traditional game and it's not, you know, one team just sprinting down the field and scoring and you going three and out, it's more normal. Are you okay with what they did offensively? Can you buy the I don't know, explanation, excuse, whatever you want to call it, that maybe they had something cooking, but they just got completely derailed by the Oklahoma offense. Not the Oklahoma defense, but the Oklahoma offense. I, I do think there was a lot to what he said about Green missing plays. I know there were a lot of people on our board that were upset that Brown made some comments about Green um, because there were issues everywhere. And I think you know some some fans believe that Brown has it out for Green. But you're kind of looking at your quarterback to lead this team and, and make all the right plays, and and you're going to hold them to high standards. And there were at least a couple plays where it was there. Like, the play call was right, and the wide receiver ran the right route and got open. And Green just missed him. And I think part of that started, stemmed from the offensive line getting beat up, and then he just didn't have his eyes in the right spot. You know, you're not looking down the field – you're more concerned about what's happening in front of you with the offensive line. And even though the defensive wasn't getting pressure on a couple of these plays, he was looking, which threw him off his marks for some of these passes. So I think I'm buying I'm buying the play calling, and I'm buying the fact that a couple of the reasons that the offense faltered early was some poor play from Green and um, not being able to keep up with Oklahoma's offense. Anything else in the offense versus these defense matchup here before we switch it? Uh, yep, I'll save some of the rest of the things. Just quick sneak peek. Garrett Green versus zone coverage. Mm-hmm. Keep an eye out for it because Cincinnati runs it quite a bit. Um, looks like, according to PFF, only 30% of the time is man. And um, when Cincinnati runs a zone, opposing teams are only completing 51% of their passes but doing so for 20 yards a completion. Does that does that sound like anybody you know, Mike? Any quarterback? There are some parallels. 50% of his passes for 20 yards apiece. That's also, some food for thought. Also, I'd watch watch the slots again. I don't I don't mean to keep narrowing this down too much, but the the offense has what was strange to me was that they used Devin Carter. We've I've read about how they used Devin Carter in the middle of the season, made him like the moving chess piece and put him in the slot and all that. He did not play a lot of slot against BYU. And the offense was great. He played a lot of slot again against Oklahoma. The offense wasn't. He just did not have a good game. He's going to have to be good if he's playing the slot or someone's going to have to be good playing the slot because 
Um, Cincinnati doesn't really have a third cornerback that they play very often. Like when they go with a nickelback, it's a safety. He has a hard time in coverage. Um, it, it looks just like by stats and by snap counts that their nickel is going to be a guy that is either young and hasn't had a lot of success or is a safety or a, like a bigger defensive back. Um, you know, Deshaun Price is their what they call a star, 6'2, 212, and, and runs around and tries to do some things that can be coverage ish, but maybe like the spear in the West Virginia offense, but they just don't have a guy that I'm, I'm even looking at their PFF snaps for slot coverage and it's all like safeties. So that's something to watch. If you watch them on tape, they have a hard time with that sometimes. And that could be an area they exploit too. Cause again, we talked about this where they actually like to have a difference maker on offense. Yeah. If they can get an all conference guy at outside receiver. Sure. But the stuff they do in the slot and how much they use that guy in motion as a receiver running back, just constantly keeping the defense spinning. Um, that's something that maybe they can manipulate here. Switch sides. Now. Point, Mike. Yeah, oh, sorry. To your point, the three the three safeties, the three guys who have the most snaps in coverage there, or the three safeties I think I'm looking at here, Pace, Ward, and Willis. They're NFL the the QB rating, NFL QB rating for the when they're in coverage, one twenty two point eight, one thirty one point three, one twelve point five, combined for seven touchdowns to just one interception when those guys are in coverage. So and completing like, can't do the quick math in my head, but something over 70% of their passes when those guys are covered. So yeah, Willis is 5'11", 180. He's not going to have a chance against Cole Taylor. 6'2", right. 212, maybe. But then can he run with Carter? Can he run with Gallagher? We'll see. That's one to watch right there, too, because those are the layups that he can hit, too. And they also play field corner and boundary corner. So if you start throwing bubbles or screens to one side, you can turn the field into the boundary, and you got to flip those corners and make them run and work. Um, that's just a trick. Kansas State and, and Bill Snyder used to do that all the time, too. That's something that I wonder if they get into again just to get layups going. Ran a couple screens last week, had some success on them. I hadn't seen that a whole lot. wonder if they don't go back to that. Now let's switch sides. Cincinnati's offense, uh, it's going to sound similar here, Chris. Uh, a running quarterback, they're using a second quarterback now. They're getting him in the first half of games. Um, kind of like a bell cow running back. They have a pretty good change of pace guy. Transfers at receiver that have helped him out. A very, very good offensive lineman. Uh, just don't score a ton of points or enough points either. 60% of the time running the ball, one of the highest in the nation. Uh, they actually lead the country in rushing offense in the first quarter. Yeah. Um, and again, that's going to contribute to the time of possession and everything that goes into that. Um, it, <laughs> you mentioned the parallels. Again, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm pulling up the stats and it's like, all right, rushing offense, first quarter, there's Cincinnati, there's West Virginia. Second quarter, there's Cincinnati, there's West Virginia. Uh, you know, percentages, West Virginia, Cincinnati. It it goes on and on. So, yeah, I'm with you. This is going to be a lot of similarities. And West Virginia better be ready for the run early in this game, especially. Do you have Emory Jones takes? I have some thoughts. And I really, I, I, I'm waiting on the answers from our Cincinnati uh, site for our Q and a, but that was one of my five questions was this guy has started for those who don't know, he, he was a, a highly touted recruit. Oh yeah. Started his career at Florida was a starter. I think it was his third year there, went to Arizona state, started there. Now is at Cincinnati starting there. So it was, it's one of those situations like uh, what's his name over at, that was at Pitt. You know, there is something there that is attracting the coaches that makes them think that he can be great. But there's something there that is forcing him to change schools every single time to keep a starting job. Oh, excuse me, not a pit, but uh, Oklahoma State when I was talking about Alan Bowman. 
Okay. I was, I was wondering where you were going. going. <laughs> it's not the well, actually. You like a tight end, really? Huh? No, but yeah, like, I, so I, I asked him, I said, what, what is it that they see that they like? Because obviously there's some things that they don't, or otherwise he would have more success. He wouldn't have to keep transferring. So I, I'm curious about this one. At Florida, Philippe Franks, Kyle Trask, Emory Jones are quarterbacks for two years. Um, and then Trask, Jones, Anthony Richardson in 2020. And you're just thinking, okay, talented room, some NFL players there, high draft picks. Maybe he moves on and makes something happen. Um, he gets the ball a couple times, doesn't do anything with it. I think he started 13 games in Richardson's red shirt. Yeah, here we go. 13 games, Richardson's red shirt freshman year, but then it became apparent Richardson was going to be the guy and just didn't have – hasn't. I mean, he's had the chances before. He hasn't done it here, and they even now late on in this season where they got to be about two and five, and they just kind of said, we need to start moving some pieces around and starting to play younger. And you're starting to see Brady Lightenberg come in and play some – some offense, a series here, a series there. They're getting him in that second quarter. He's been effective the last two games. Kind of a dual threat guy. Not sure, but uh, again, when he's running, when he's right, big time arm, big time arm, play action, RPO stuff, and especially if he's running, that's that's dangerous. He's one of the top running quarterbacks in like a non-option offense. That doesn't score a lot, but he can get you. He's over 500 yards rushing. He's uh, pretty pretty effective in that regard. But Chris, he also has two drop passes this year too. Be on the lookout. Impressive. Mm-hmm. Receivers. This is going to come down to two receivers against two cornerbacks, which is kind of like, again, similar thing for the outside matchups uh, when it's defense against offense here. But uh, they have two transfers out there. One of them, again, from Florida, decent player. Um, wild home road splits, like just not productive on the road. Pretty good at home. And then they have um, another transfer who can literally fly. Um, he runs a Brennan Smith, runs a four four forty, Also a pilot. I'm going to guess that gets on TV. That just sounds kind of interesting. Um, but again, not not a prolific passing game because, man, do they run it. And again, another transfer there, uh, Kiner, who I believe West Virginia tried to get after, and then an older player, a senior Montgomery, who is third in the Big 12 in yards per carry. Um, not a balanced offense, but they are balanced in how they can run the ball. Yeah, heading into uh, last week's game, I need to update this because they were right nearly about to pass. Was that? Yeah, Kansas. Um or excuse me, Kansas, Kansas State, Cincinnati, all sitting there with a missed tackle force rate from their running backs above 30%. Um, to put that in perspective, up until a couple of weeks ago, West Virginia was, was around 17%. Um, it has steadily climbed with the improved running back play, but 30-plus percent, I mean, that's among the best in the country. So Cincinnati is up there. They're not just four yards in a cloud of dust. Um, you will see some of that, but they are – going to make you work to get those uh to get those tackles outside zone outside zone outside zone this is going to be a spear and a bandit game right these are guys that have to set the boundaries to be a vesterian game too they're going to have to do stuff on the outside here and watch out for cutbacks which means your middle linebacker is going to have to your, your middle and your will are going to have to be disciplined they don't get over pursued and you know that that happened a couple times last game where just oklahoma's backs are really good and they could cut it back in the middle and see some stuff but they they do like to go outside. And if you look at Kiner's broken tackle numbers, when he gets outside that tackle and tight end, especially on the left side, I don't I doubt he's breaking tackles there. But his yards after contact are over four per carry out there. Likes the left side, which is weird because the right guard is very good. I think he's one of PFF's highest rated guards in the Big Twelve. Excuse me, in the in the Power Five, he's played more snaps than anybody at guard in the Power Five. But they go left a lot, and when Kiner gets in that open field, he's dangerous. Kind of a, a shifty, but also a big guy there too. Can move the ball. 
um, and they have an offensive line. So if we if we are doctoring up a way to stop this here, the defensive line has had its moments. It certainly didn't have them last game. And that just got to be, again, a momentum thing where Oklahoma was feeling good, ticked off after losing two in a row, had West Virginia under its thumb and could really run the ball and do what it wanted. And then just because of that, a lot of the slot game stuff and, and play action stuff worked. And, uh-oh, a quarterback who can run the ball. I don't think that Cincinnati can channel what Oklahoma does, especially the gear that Oklahoma gets to. But you're going to have to have some players on defense make some plays here and combat this. I mentioned Bandit Spear setting boundaries, forcing things back inside. I guess that's obvious, but are there other matchups with other players here where it comes to player against a player or an aspect against an aspect that have your attention? Well, it's not good news if it's Bandit and Spear versus running game because those have been probably the two weakest points in West Virginia's defense so far, especially with um, keeping contained and tackling. Uh, I put this in my stock up, stock down after the last game, but Jared Bartlett was, I believe, yeah, he's the lowest graded player on PFF for the season. Um and Tyron Bradley was second out of all the regulars. Uh, big reason for that, I missed tackle rate. Jared Bartlett, 23% of his attempts end up in a missed tackle. So not great. Where can he make it up? Rushing the passer because, yeah, are they going to rush the passer a lot? Or, 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 excuse me, is Cincinnati going to pass a lot? No, probably not. Again, 40% of the time. But even with the low passing percentage, they are extremely, extremely weak at right tackle. Um, DeAndre Buford, their starting right tackle, might be the worst right tackle in the entire Big 12 and one of the worst in the country as far as pass blocking goes. He has the second most pressures allowed in the entire Big 12 of any position on the offensive line, which, again, is saying something, given how little Cincinnati passes. I mean, he's, he's second behind uh, the tackle for Houston. And that tackle has faced a hundred more um, passing, you know, pass protection opportunities than Buford has. So, as far as rate goes, Buford's the worst. He's also the second most penalized yeah. offensive lineman in the entire Big Twelve Conference. So that is a spot where West Virginia could really try to attack or really put pressure on him because he's either giving up pressure or he's getting called for a hold. So attack, attack, attack that right tackle. Could this be the game that Ed Vesteran and finally draws a penalty for holding? As much as that guy plays, as hard as that guy plays and pushes and pushes, that he hasn't had a holding penalty called against him all year, I believe. I'm pretty sure I had that a while ago, and I think I've been updating it. I haven't seen it. And boy, if he's on the right side, then that might be something there, too. Cincinnati puts that tight end on the right side a bunch, too, likely protecting the asset back there. Um, that's something certainly to watch. Finally, Chris, um, Kitchen sink potential. Do you worry about a three and seventeen kind of wounded animal just saying it's our last home, our last row game, you know, not going to a bowl. We just won a game, so we're not going to have a 10 game losing streak to end. Devil may care attitude. I think this is going to be a weird one. I think they are going to try to you 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 talked about, you know, flea flickers and all this other stuff, and maybe West Virginia trying to run it. I'd keep a very close eye on Cincinnati trying to pull some of that stuff in this game. Yeah, their special teams are kind of a, a flaw for them, too. They don't do anything good in the return game. Their punt return defense is good. Their kick return defense isn't. Kicker's been pretty good. Punter is very good. Punter has um, leads the power five in percentage of punts inside the 20. Cincinnati's punter has been busy this year, so you got to be careful there. But, they, the, man, you cannot surrender field position in this game because you are so similar. Don't expand the margins. Let a team that has been close but hasn't gotten over the hump give them advantages there. And West Virginia, when they're good, 
Uh, seems like they mined that margin pretty well there too. Um, point spread on this is still what is it four? Is that right? What it was when it opened, yeah. That's why I think about the three and seven team against a six and four team at home, four points. Ooh, that's kind of crazy. But they are very similar teams, like I mentioned here. Maybe one's a little bit better than the other, but maybe one has underachieved a little bit. Maybe one's overachieved a little bit. But thirteen versus fourteen preseason, one can make a move up, and one can make a move up even higher with a win, which leads us to this, Chris. Uh, oh. 4 p.m., maybe 4.15, we're talking on Saturday afternoon. Who or what is on the tip of our tongue to explain what we have just witnessed? I think we're talking about uh, turnovers. Again, it, this this is a game where one way or the other, I have a feeling that this game is going to be decided by somewhere between four and eight points. Uh, and if you make one mistake, one turnover, that's it. If you're playing in a game where each team is running, you know, 80 to 100 plays, that turnover is going to hurt. It is. It's going to hurt. But it's going to hurt even more if you're playing in a game where both teams are running 50 plays and it's over in two hours. So the idea of holding onto the ball, always important, obviously, that's a no-brainer. But it's going to be, like, you know, magnified in this game where there just isn't going to be a lot of opportunities. Would you know, Chris, uh, combined turnovers, which means generated, created 13 and 12 generated and, and committed by West Virginia, 14 and 12 for Cincinnati. So they're right about, excuse me, 12 and 14 for Cincinnati. They're negative 12 and 16. They're negative. So similar number that they're involved in. They can give them, they can get them. Um, and yeah, I, I think you're right there. There's going to be something here too that stands out as a singular moment. I'm going to go just to like halftime, Chris. If this game is over at halftime, it means that West Virginia's probably done what it came to do. And Got out, I'm not saying like a BYU advantage or even an Oklahoma advantage, but has certainly put its feet in the cement and said it's going to look like this at the end. And they're they're able to get that home. I'm not sure that Cincinnati can make up big deficits and play well enough to do that or play fast enough to do that. And then you get to that third quarter, and Cincinnati's been a really bad third quarter team, which kind of bookends what you said at the very beginning. They run the ball a lot in the first quarter because they want to get the game where they want to. So I think the first half is going to be really, really important. It's going to be a tug of war. You have one team that's playing for an awful lot, when it comes to maybe their coach, can you get into eight wins? Can you get to eight wins? Can you improve your bowl trajectory? And if not, the other team is going to want to ruin something for you here. And, and getting a road game against West Virginia, trying to start some sort of a rivalry if you can, no better way to do that than to kind of throw a monkey wrench at the end of the season. But I wonder if that's fleeting, if that effort, that want, that desire is still there in the third and fourth quarter if it gets away. I think West Virginia will come out hot and will be adamant about being established to get an offense. And if it's not, Halftime is going to be interesting in the second half. has another chance for West Virginia, but if it's close, then all things are equal. Why couldn't Cincinnati do something crazy here and shake things up? We'll find out when we get to the game. 2.30 ESPN Plus on Saturday. Chris, take us through the rest of the week, what we can expect. We're looking for some updates on uh, transfer portal stuff. Uh, Neil Brown made a comment last week, two weeks ago, about changes in the transfer portal and what they're doing and how it's resulted in more success. Took a look at that. And took a look at the comparison with the rest of the Big 12. We'll have the answers up on on what you know the numbers say uh, about that later this week. Uh, recruiting news going on. Um, last home game, but do not expect official visitors, I don't think. Maybe one. So that's going to kind of be a December thing again. And that'll be when the transfer portal's open because it'll be wild those first couple weekends in December for sure. By the numbers later today, fresh set tomorrow, some preview videos, 
got a good conversation coming up about uh the other sport on campus too, don't we? A little three minute video uh, heading their way. Wrestling. Yes, exactly. Stay tuned. Big recruiting weekend for them, I heard too. Yeah, actually, many fine people are talking about this. I'm trying to think about any other jokes for like a uh, coaching news or anything like that. Nah. I don't want to test anybody's patience. Please be patient. <laughs> it's a jumbo personality trait that you should have. Yes. Until next time, I'm Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Sanderson. We'll talk to you then.